Hi, I'm Mark Youngman. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and let's just sit in this moment for, for, just, for just a little bit and pray together. Great is your faithfulness, O God. God, you are the God of Abraham, and you're a God of promises, which means you've been making promises for generation after generation after generation, and all of your promises have come true. So God, we come to you seeking to see your promises become realities right here in this moment and in this season of our lives. Throughout history, God, you have planted signs and, and seeds of your promise. And we run across them just even day by day when the sun rises and the sun sets. We're reminded of your faithfulness that you, God, are with us. And God, we are a people in need. So God, come meet us in the places where we sit today. Come into our homes. Come into our hearts. Speak a fresh word to us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been doing a lot of prayer in this season. It's really been at the heart of how we've connected with God and connected with each other. I wanted to remind you that we've been doing this uh, Wednesday night Facebook Live at 6.30 p.m., from right here, we've got pastors here from Providence Church that are, are ready to, to pray with you each Wednesday night at 6.30 throughout the fall. So please come and, and, and join us in that time. You can actually put your own prayer request in there, and we get to as many of them as we can during that time. And it's been a really sweet, beautiful moment to connect together and connect to God together. And we're seeing God move in the middle of that. Also, Providence Church at 11.17 a.m. and p.m. every day during, during these three weeks that we're in right now. Um, the PM one is if you're awake. Um, <laughs> we're praying together and knowing that the community is praying with us. And we've I've been hearing from folks who at 1117, their alarm goes off and we're praying together and we sense this unity. So we'd love for you to join us at 1117 in praying together. Also want you to know that next week we're, be, we're beginning an opportunity to come and, and save a seat and worship with us here in person in this room. Um, it's the first time we've done that in a long time, and we're going to be having to, to limit that space-wise, so we're going to ask you to, to uh, actually make a reservation by going to prov.church slash save my seat, and we'll save a seat for you next Sunday at one of our three services, uh, 8, 9, 15, and 10, 45. Uh, we also want you to know that our online presence is going to stay the same, so that those services will be airing at those same times as well. But our in-person worship will be a little bit shorter. It's going to be about a 30-minute time period that we'll spend together. Um, we'll sing one song. You'll hear the full sermon for that week, and then we'll pray together. And so uh, we would love for you, if, if this is a, well, that, that would be a lifeline for you, hold on to it and come and join us next weekend right here at Providence Church. So we've been talking about lifelines here. And we've been in the, the book of Philippians. It's a letter, actually, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. And this church was, had been doing really well, but they were also facing some really difficult times. And so he was saying to them, here's how you can continue to follow Jesus together. And he actually gave them some things to hold on to, which is what we've been talking about uh, during this series in the month of August. I had a great uh, conversation with a couple of friends this last week. It was it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, and I say that because we were talking about um, the possibility of vaccines being developed by the medical community right now. And so 
we were focusing on some of these stories that have bubbled up about here's some things that are happening. We're hearing about, about things moving quicker than ever towards the vaccine. And so we had this great, positive, hope-filled conversation. And the reason I say that it was refreshing is because it seems like that's a rare thing in these days to have a prolonged conversation that leaves you feeling lifted up. I don't know if you have found that to be true as well, because there are so many things that are coming at us right now, so many things which, which can actually drag us down. So be in a conversation like that one, I was noticing it. And then, right at that moment, one of my friends said, you know, they've never developed a vaccine for any of the strains of coronavirus ever. And then he said, it could be decades, if ever, when they come up with a vaccine. It was like a pinprick to a rising balloon of a conversation. You can imagine, it just kind of like the, all the air went out of the room and we just kind of started spiraling downward. It's kind of, you know, at that moment in a conversation where you have a decision to make, right? Am I going to keep going down this road, this trajectory that the conversation is on right now? Are we going to keep going down? Am I going to say, oh yeah, well, I read an article. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I saw this news report. Or, you know, my, my uncle's lawyer's barber's daughter works for the Center for Disease Control, and she says, <laughs> or we might even say, here are all the reasons that you're wrong. <laughs> and then the conversation just goes down. And where does that leave us? probably really far from a cure for the coronavirus and not feeling so good. Sometimes it feels like we're in a pit, you know, far from the light. Now, I'm not going to out my friend from that day because, and I'll tell you why, it could have just as easily been me. I could have been, I, sometimes I am the one who is that person in the conversation. It's so much easier to see the complaining of other people. Like, would, would this be a good time now for us to discuss children who complain in our lives? <laughs> like, do we want to complain about children who complain in our lives? Yeah, I mean, I don't have that either, but I thought maybe, maybe you would have an experience of children who, who complain. <laughs> it's so much easier to see the complaining of other people and so much harder to see it in our own lives. It's like other people's complaining is splashed in front of us all day long if we spend time on social media. Like, we, we see it, and it's so much in front of us that it could be easy to miss our own propensity to complain. We do it when we're tired. We do it when we're stressed. I am that guy. I'm that guy that can complain more often than I care to admit. And I can forget how amazing it feels to lift people up by pointing them to beauty and goodness and truth. I forget that sometimes. Why do I forget that? Why, why do we do that? Are we hardwired to be complainers? I think the answer to that is no. But the struggle with grumbling and complaining is real. We heard about it last week. Pastor Jacob shared the story of the Israelites who had been freed from slavery in Egypt. They were wandering around in the wilderness, and it didn't take them very long at all to begin complaining about what they didn't have anymore. They were remembering the positive things about their time in captivity the food that they had, they were longing for those things, but they had a hard time even imagining that better days were ahead, even though God was promising to take them to a promised land at the end of their, their venturing. They were expert complainers, and they didn't even have Facebook. <laughs> to put, this was like old school, person to person complaining, and they did it so well. <laughs> what I'm saying is we didn't invent this. But I don't want future generations 
telling stories about me wandering around in the wilderness of 2020, complaining and grumbling. (laughs) I don't want that to be the lasting legacy of my story. But we didn't invent the art of complaining, but it also didn't just skip from Israel's, Israel's wilderness to our wilderness. Paul talks about it in his letter to the New Testament church in Philippi. If you've got a Bible handy, I invite you to go ahead and turn to chapter 2 of Philippians. It's near the end of the Bible. Verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Then he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, if you take this passage out of context, or even just a verse of it out of context, you might think that this is just a lesson on morality, right? Like you might say to a child, uh, you should be nice and stop arguing. And that child might say to you, why? And you, or me, might say, because I said so. <laughs> because I told you to, stop, to be nice and to stop arguing. But Paul is a better parent than me. <laughs> He goes beyond that here. So I just want to kind of walk through a little bit of this letter from Paul like it was written to us. So again, he says, therefore, my dear friends, that's how he starts off. A little bit later, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So if he's talking about working out our salvation, it seems like it might be pretty important. I don't want you to get hung up on on these words here. When he says working out our salvation, you might be thinking, well, I thought salvation was a gift from God, something that I can't even earn, so why do I need to work it out? What he's not saying is work for your salvation. He's saying work out of your salvation. Like put flesh on your salvation because it's it's actually supposed to impact your life and, and the way you live. So what follows gives us some handles to hold on to, um, as to, to what it looks like to work out your salvation. So that's what Paul is focused on in this letter. So we're looking for some handles. We're looking for some tips for how that looks in community. But like so many places in Paul's writing, he starts off by referring us to what he's just said. That's the therefore word. He's kind of pointing us backwards to what he's just said So what was just said, well, early in chapter two, he gave us this beautiful poem, this beautiful song about how Jesus lowered himself, how Jesus was humbled and became a servant, even servant all the way to the cross. And he did it for our sake. And that in doing that, God actually lifted him up. Paul says at the end of that, we have to have that mindset as well, that laid down mindset. But that section also starts with a therefore, because Paul is a serial therefore-er. And so he says, we need to go back and look even further. So if you go back to chapter 1 in Philippians, I think this is a great jumping off spot. Chapter 1, verse 27, Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
I hear that and I'm like, you know, yeah, but <laughs> we have the coronavirus. Like surely there's an exemption, right? Worthy of the gospel of Christ. But we've got this going on. Like we're in a political season right now, you know? And like that, that is, like everything hinges on that, right? Everything hinges on the upcoming election, right? And so, so how are we supposed to, to, to live this out and live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ? And believe me, it feels like everything hinges on the political environment right now. But whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So if Paul could get practical for us here for a minute, he gives us, in just a few words, a great lesson. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, this is just an observation on my part, but it feels like grumbling or arguing or complaining have become the new pastime for us. <laughs> you know, because we haven't had as much baseball. That's supposed to be our pastime, right? We haven't had as much, and so we've, we've, we've brought in this new favorite thing to do and I think behind most of our complaining is a sense of entitlement. Like, I deserve to have whatever food I want. I deserve to have my way in relationship. I deserve to be recognized. But Jesus actually modeled the exact opposite. God the Father provides for Jesus, the Son, with everything that he needs, and he raises him up as he lays his life down, considering others to be higher than himself. Now, I know this may be sounding kind of negative so far, which I, I get the, the irony in that, <laughs> but this is where Paul begins to cast his vision. Can you imagine a group of people who are able to do everything without grumbling or arguing? Can you imagine what that would look like? Like the thing that the world should be saying about followers of, of Jesus is that's the group that does what they do without grumbling or complaining or arguing. And that's why we notice them. That's what makes them different. That's why they stand out. But I get it. <laughs> it's hard. Like these words have been chewing on me all week long. The struggle is real. So this is not a call to pretend that everything is just fine. I, I'm hearing like more and more, it's kind of a common phrase to say, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. I've seen t-shirts tote bags, whatever, that say, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. And what I'm learning is that we do that to survive. Because it actually may be a way of saying, everything's actually not fine. I just don't have the capacity to deal with it all right now, so I'm saying it's fine. <laughs> Which leads to a question, is it okay to complain? Well, let me make a quick distinction, if I can. Complaining, generally, is not helpful. But sometimes, sometimes you need to speak up. And there's a difference. If the act of you speaking up can bring about positive change, speak up. Maya Angelou said, what you're supposed to do when you don't like a thing is change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it, but don't complain. Simply complaining leaves everybody feeling low, like we're in that pit. So how do you know the difference? Here's why I think we're actually not wired for complaining. Here's why I think that is true. Because when you're in a, a conversation that is going in a downward spiral, and when you're paying attention to it, you can actually begin to feel it. 
It's like a weight in the room, right? It's like the walls are closing in. Today, this week, see if you don't notice that feeling of a downward trajectory in a negative conversation. See if you can't feel it. I think we're wired to be able to feel it. So there is actually a biblical example of healthy complaining. It's King David. He complains a lot in the Psalms. The guy's pretty good at complaining. But his complaining is only to the one who's really ready to engage in his complaints. God can handle our complaints. David gives it to him. So are you about to complain to your spouse? Take it to God first. Are you about to complain to your coworker? Take it to God first. And I know that sounds like that's too easy. Like that's a church answer, right? But when you turn it to God instead, God will do something with it that another person typically cannot do. God will begin to change the way you think about it. And then you might still have something to share with your spouse. You might still have something to share with your coworker, but it probably will look totally different and it might actually lead to something good. So here's a practical thing. If you feel a downward spiral coming on, I want you to think about these things. First, pray. Remember, like, you can be like David. You can complain to God. God has heard all of the complaints. And you might be saying to me, like, complaining is actually a mode of prayer, and I think that it is. Like, God knows our situation, but we give it to God. And it sometimes starts with complaining. Now, if you're in a downward spiral conversation, and, and, and you're really just kind of noticing it, then that's a good time to name it and then just kind of elevate the conversation, like lift up the conversation, find somewhere else for it to go so you don't both end up in the pit. But there are some times where the gravity of that is just too heavy and you can't, you just feel like you cannot elevate the conversation. Sometimes it's okay just to walk away. Walk away from that conversation. Whatever happens, Paul said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So there's a lot more that Paul is actually trying to say here in this part of Philippians. So he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like that's the part that feels like a, like a rule, like an ethic, right? But he said, here's the reason why. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul says that, so that, in that sentence, to say, you can't be blameless and pure if you're grumbling and arguing. I don't know if that did anything to your heart, like every time I've, I've actually had that thought this week. <laughs> you can't be blameless and pure if you're grumbling and arguing. And it kind of makes sense, right? But if you're able to put away your complaining, you will see as the child of God, you really are. And that doesn't just make you look good. It actually makes Jesus look good as well. And then Paul says this. This is the best part. This is my favorite part of this passage. Then, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. You will shine like the world, like among the world around you. All the things that we grumble about, all the things that we complain about, if you're, if you're turning yourself to Christ, you'll begin to shine even in that environment as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
So if I could just kind of abbreviate all of that. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so you can shine like stars. Paul's calling us to stand out in the crowd, in a sense, to shine like stars in a dark sky, to be an illuminator of the darkness in the world around you. Now, generally, when it comes to celestial beings, I've always thought of us as being more like a moon, right? Because like, God is the, the sun. Jesus is the light, right? And so we just reflect that, right? Like the moon reflects the light of the sun to us. But Paul is blowing that idea out of the water here. Paul does that all the time with, with our ideas. Paul is saying that when, it, when we take on the mindset of Christ, when we put Jesus on in our daily coming, in our daily going, he actually becomes visible through us. It's, it's still not light of our own, but it's coming from within us, not just bouncing off of us. My family has spent a lot of nights uh, during this pandemic in our backyard. We have a little kind of makeshift fire pit and some chairs around it, and it's become one of our, our favorite spots. We have some really sweet moments there. We have some really goofy moments there. But almost always, by the end of the night, whoever is kind of hung on and, and stuck with me uh, until dark gets to see the stars appear. And if you've ever kind of sat in that environment, you know they don't just all come out at once. And so they just kind of appear. That's the right word. They kind of pop up in the sky. And you also know that the darker the sky is, the brighter the stars seem. So we look up, and each time we always find two things because we're not very good at astronomy. But we know a couple of things, and I learned a lot as a child. But what I remember is the Big Dipper and the North Star. So every night we spot those, we point them out. And if you look at those night after night after night, you notice that they don't stay in the same place. You won't always find them in the same place. They actually rotate. All the constellations rotate around the North Star. So when Paul says, you're going to shine like stars, he's telling us we have to orient our lives on Jesus, and then we'll be shining like stars to be oriented towards Jesus, we lay down arguments, we lay down complaining, we humble ourselves, and we have the mind of Christ. So if you ever find yourself down in a pit of complaining and negativity, here's the lifeline that God is throwing out to us. The lifeline comes completely from God. God wants to shine through you. I couldn't think of a way to say it that didn't sound cheesy, and you can blame Paul for this, but you are made to shine like a star. You are made to radiate with the love of God in a time and place that is desperate for the love of God. Now, you might be hearing some of this and wondering, like, how can I be humble like Jesus and shine like a star at the same time? When I, when I kind of stand out and draw attention to myself, well, on an especially dark night, far away from the city lights, the stars become so dense that you might think that you're looking at the same stars that Abraham looked at one night, because you are. Abraham was the one through whom God began this whole story of redemption for his people and for the world. In that moment, there were no people of God yet. It was just Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And God took him outside and God showed him the night sky. And just remember, this happened 4,000 years before the first light bulb was invented. So they saw everything. 
You've never seen this guy like Abraham saw. And God said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he made one of those promises that we've been singing about. So shall your offspring be. The darkest sky is made bright by the people of God. And we are the people of God. There's so many stars out in the sky. Your light is just joining in with the light of all the others and pushing back the darkness that we're experiencing and that causes us to grumble and complain. Paul says, have the mindset of Jesus. We've got to think like Jesus in every conversation. We've got to respond like Jesus. We've got to wear humility the way Jesus wears humility. We even have to consider ourselves as being lesser, lower than other people, the way Jesus did. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Today, I know that some of, some of us are kind of feeling like we're really familiar with the pit. Like we find ourselves there daily, multiple times a day. And sometimes when you're in the pit, you're just kind of reaching around for a, a, a way out. And there is a way out. God is extending before us a lifeline. God wants to make us shine like the stars. So grabbing a hold of that promise and grabbing a hold of Jesus Christ pulls us out of all those traps of comparison and the traps of complaining. And when we lay down our lives and we hang on to the lifeline of Jesus, if we have the mindset of Christ, our rescuer, we will experience the upward spiral of life in the Spirit. So in this time, in this season of great difficulty and struggling and suffering, I'm reminded that the church is the hope of the world. The church is still the hope of the world. We, we can see and we can complain about all of the darkness that are, is around us, but we are the church. And the church is the hope of the world. When it seems spiraling downward, the church is lifting up hope. When you see terrible news, the church is lifting up good news. When you see arguing and complaining, the church is demonstrating unity and what that looks like. When you see hatred in the downward spiral, the church is lifting up love. And when you see injustice in the world around you, the church is lifting up justice. That's what we do. We lift up hope. So today we want to leave you in, a, in an upward spiral, <laughs> an upward spiral of, of good news. So here's what we're going to invite you to do. Hold on. Things are going to get better. Amen.